Hey, all you Theosciples! I'm Michael. And I'm Brendan from Finding Christ in Cinema. You are listening to the Theonauts Podcast with your hosts, David and Jeremiah. Right here at gctnetwork.com. Your Great Commission Transmission. It's the Theonauts. Episode 149. The one where we do everything to the glory of God. And I mean everything. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you Theolumens out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are the, the Theonauts! Theolumens. Theolumens. That might be a... Uh, Theoluminites. Ah, I don't know. That might be a, uh, a clue. Theoluminaries. Theoluminaries. Have you watched Stranger Things Chapter 2 yet? I have watched the first episode. Oh my gosh. Have you been watching it? Yesterday after church because oh, you, I was feel, you feeling like trapped. Yeah, I just sat in my easy chair and coughed out the lung and binge watched six episodes. <laughs> That's like over <clears throat> half of it, right? Yeah. Like ten episodes long or something? It's epic. Awesome. I mean, amazing. I'm glad that, that they're sticking to their guns. And, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, holding it's, up. it's one of the best. I love it. It's so nostalgic to me. Like I'm a kid again watching it. Like it's the <laughs> it's the stuff I grew up on. Sure, you know. And it's just the first episode. I I no, it wasn't much. It was just kind of a here's where we left off. You know, here's what's going on now. Right. And it wasn't like a whole lot in it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> they have this scene, iconic scene, in the second episode. You've only watched the first. One, yeah, right? you're not gonna spoil it for me, are you? I'm not. But it's okay. really funny. It's I'll tell you this. Okay. part because it's funny but <clears throat> they all dress up as ghostbusters yeah for halloween <laughs> that's awesome so they end up going to their school and they're seventh graders now right or eighth graders one of the mm-hmm. two they show up in their costumes to the horror that nobody else in the school is wearing costumes <laughs> they're like what happened and one of the guys is like everybody's like way to go who are you gonna call ghost nerds? And oh, man. they're like, oh, and uh, <clears throat> basically they're just like they were wearing the costumes last year. It's like this <laughs> epic growing up scene, and I had that whenever I was a kid. Right? I I went I went. Let's see, seventh grade. I went trick or treating for Halloween for all of five minutes. I dressed up as a football player, which I I just had football pads already, so I just threw that on mm-hmm. and went trick or treating. Went across the street to the house and immediately got egged <laughs> in the back of the head by a kid in my class. I'm like, oh, so what did I do? I threw off my football crap and I joined him. And we went and caused mayhem all over town that night. Wow. And that's the night I grew up. <laughs> that was your bar mitzvah. That was my bar mitzvah yeah. right there. It's a great time. Great so time. I wonder if that's how uh, Meredith uh, felt at uh, church Sunday. So I know she's listening. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so it was Reformation Sunday. Right. <clears throat> we had talked about, I hey, we should all dress up like, you know, 
15th or 16th century attire and all this stuff. And I didn't give it much thought and everything, but Meredith went all out. <clears throat> she came dressed up in, yes. in that attire. And it was awesome. It was hilarious. It was I loved awesome. it. I felt so bad because then I was like, ah, oh, I should have dressed like a monk. Seriously. At least you had a solely Dale Gloria shirt. <clears throat> I didn't have anything, you know? Yeah. I really felt bad, but I was very proud of her for rocking yeah. that. That was cool. Way to go, Meredith. I know you're listening. That was awesome. Yeah. We rate. So. Yeah. We. <laughs> We salute you. <laughs> right. So Okay, so um oh, another thing I was gonna say. So the uh I got this email today, because we're coming up on that time of the year. It's it's quote unquote Halloween, right? Ooh. But what does that mean? Christmas in all the stores. Oh right? my gosh, yes. Okay, so uh I didn't think about that. <laughs> So, so depressing, uh, miserable. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, I got this email this morning from REI, okay, which is outdoor sporting yeah. equipment store. Right. Okay, I am so proud of this. Like REI just bought my business right for a long time because of this. Oh yeah. Okay, I hate Black Friday. Like it is, I hate that with a passion. Like here, this is Thanksgiving, right? And everyone uses that time to just indulge, indulge, and spend all this money. And it's like I hate it, and it's intruding into Thanksgiving now and sure. everything. Like now they're opening the doors Thursday evening. Yeah, doorbusters on Thursday evenings or whatever. Okay, so here's what REI's done: they closed their doors on Black Friday. Completely shut them down. Send all their employees, twenty-two thousand employees. Uh, nationwide, send them out into the outdoors and they pay for them to go out and do things in the wild. No way. They're calling it opt outside. So in other words, get out of the stores, hit the wilderness. Dude, that's awesome. And 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 they they've even developed a little um a little portal for it. Yeah. So like if you're on Instagram and you're outside on Black Friday, if you'll hashtag opt outside, it'll show up on REI's uh, portal. Wow. They've got this little portal set up so that you can go and you can watch everybody enjoying the outdoors right. on Black Friday. Wow. And I'm like, yes, I am so into that. That is like exactly the, one of yeah. the best things ever. Sure. I'm like, yes. And it's smart, too, because you think about the people that that company is serving – would all get into that. Right. I mean, it's like that fits into that thing. So it's like, how better to increase your sales? Opening your door on some weird doorbuster thing like everybody else on a holiday weekend? Or do this and encourage everyone to use your equipment. Right. Oh, man. Challenge them to get outside and do. Awesome. That's I w- pretty neat. I was just blown away. With so you're going to do it and hashtag? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. My family might not appreciate that too much, but I don't care. <laughs> it's not about family. <laughs> it's about an outdoors life. No, I'm joking. You can come get me off the mountain. There you go. <laughs> come join me in the mountain. That's right. So anyway, okay, so I don't know. We've already been doing this for an hour. Now, yeah, so let's just do this. Let's just dive in. Soli Deo Gloria. So in case you've been snoozing for the past four, four episodes, 
We are now up to the pinnacle Woo! of our celebration. The precipice. Of, yes. <clears throat> the mountaintop. <laughs> We've hiked our way up this mountain. The peak. And so we are at the <laughs> summit. The tippity top. Of the um, no going down, going up from there. Yes, this is the summit of the Solas. Right. So we're we've reached the end. We're going to talk about this one that was almost an afterthought. Like it really kind of was. Like this wasn't like whenever Martin Luther and Company set out on this on this journey of changing the way we think about Scripture and going back to Scripture and going back and reforming. This wasn't in the foremost of their mind. No. Grace, faith, uh, in Christ, all that stuff, the scriptures, all that was, that was like in there. This one kind of crept up on them. And here's one thing that I think is really cool. is It is the underlying concept of the entire thing. So we talked about, like in the last one, we talked about Sola Scriptura being kind of the, the precipice. Right. Kind of, because you don't get any of this unless you're reading scripture. Right. But this one is like the one that makes everything work. Like without God's glory, none of this happens. Amen. There's no grace if God isn't getting the glory. There's no faith. Whatever faith you have, if it's not in God, it's it's worthless. Christ wouldn't have even come to the earth had it not been for God and his glory. There's no scripture. And there's no scripture. There's no holy inspired word. There's nothing. This is everything. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is why it's prompt. It is properly placed at the end of our of our study because it, it puts an exclamation point. It puts an exclamation point on this whole thing, right? That God's glory is the entire purpose of this entire endeavor, and that if if that's not your focus in your Christian walk, if you're doing this to get to heaven, totally missing the boat. Totally missing the boat. And so what we want to talk about in this episode is how glorious this stuff is for God. Okay, so uh, we have been doing our obligatory Martin Luther quotes this whole time because, after all, we're celebrating 500 years since he nailed his 95 thesis onto the Wittenberg church door. And so I want to start with a quote from Martin Luther. And by reading this quote, it almost gives you the impression that this was an afterthought to him, but a beautiful one. (laughs) So he says, When I first took upon me the defense of the gospel, I remember a worthy man saying to me, I like it, this doctrine you preach, (laughs) because it gives glory and everything else to God alone and nothing to man, for we cannot attribute too much glory goodness, mercy, and so on to God. This greatly comforted and confirmed me. And it is true that the doctrine of the gospel removes from mankind all glory, wisdom, righteousness, and so on, and gives it solely to the Creator who made everything out of nothing. So I think this is so cool. It's almost like he was like teaching this stuff and not realizing he was teaching solely Deo Gloria. Right. Like it was just not even in his mind that that's what was happening, but that is what was happening. Well, it's it's almost like it's a natural <laughs> byproduct, yes, of what he's teaching because it is because it is the absolute most important part of our salvation. Mm. 
that our salvation is, it comes from the glory of God. So one of the things that we want to talk about is we use this word glory a lot, but do we ever really stop and think about what it means? Like, what does the word glory mean? And glory can happen in little pieces, it can happen in big pieces, and we'll talk about some of that. There's scriptures that actually point at small glories and big glories. But when we talk about solely Deo Gloria, so it's like the only glory, the biggest glory, the most important glory is God. And that's where it goes from. So I like this quote by John Piper. He says, the glory of God is the holiness of God put on display. That is, it is the infinite worth of God made manifest. Okay, so stop and think about that. This word holy means set apart. It means above all, above you, uh, sanctified, completely um, unattainable in ways. Right. Right? Because of his holiness, we are separated from him because of our sinfulness. Yes. So, um, you have this situation where Isaiah is, he has a vision in chapter 6 of Isaiah. He has this vision, he walks into the temple and he sees the throne of God. Like all of a sudden he sees these angels flying around it. And this is, it could be a futuristic view of, of, of what we see in Revelation. Could be what's going on right now, whatever. But he sees this vision of the seraphim, right. these, these six-winged angels circling the throne. And this is what it says in Isaiah 6, verse 3. It says that they're declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. <clears throat> so I think this is really cool because what he's doing is these angels are basically ascribing, if you stop and think about it, holiness to each part of God, the Godhead. The triune God, yeah. They are they are attributing holiness to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's why there's three holies being said here. But the 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 second part of this, the whole earth is full of his glory. Okay, so what happens when God speaks things into existence? They're there. His holiness, right, his holiness that is so separate and apart from us now becomes physical. It becomes something we can see and touch and all this stuff. And so we see his glory simply by the things that are around us because they are products of his holiness being spoken into existence. Hmm. So the sun, the stars, the moon, the sky, everything that we that we love and that we we enjoy. We were talking about opting outside and going yes. and climbing those mountains and and that sort of thing. It's like when you're there and go do that Black Friday, please stay out of the stores. Okay, the Theonauts <laughs> is imploring you stay yes. out of the stores on Black Friday. Go get into a mountain or a lake or do something. Play board games with your family. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> Okay, well, and do that outside on a mountain. (laughs) (laughs) So so you can see the manifest holiness of God. Amen. The earth is full of his glory. One of my favorite hymns, and we sang it Sunday. I'm so glad that you chose this song that led up to this sermon that we spoke on, on Sunday because it is so fitting how great thou art. 
Mm. How many times have we sang that song? Growing up, I hated that song. I hated that song with a passion. You know why? Because it was long and slow. It had four <laughs> verses and two pages worth of <laughs> that's right of bars, and it was long. And every old man in the world would lead it where it was just like, oh, Lord, my, my God. God. Yeah. And I'm like wanting to put my podcast on two times and listen to that. <laughs> but sure. as I grew older and I heard the lyrics, like lyrics I'd memorized. I mean, lyrics you know. Right. But all of a sudden I heard them and I realized this is the most beautiful words of praise mm. to God. Like it is the most glorifying hymn that I think I've, that we sing. Because it does this. It talks about the whole earth being full of his glory. Right. You know, uh, it, it's like it starts out talking about whenever you walk through the woods or you, when you look down from the mountain and off a of lofty mountain grandeur, you know. Yeah. And I, I see the brook and I hear the, I see the gentle breeze and all, all those things. It's like that is God's glory. Manifest being glory. Manifest. Yep. And so are his holiness being manifested, which is glory. And so I think that that it's cool for us to understand that what we're going to be talking about here is that it's going to be talking about his glory and us giving him glorification. Hmm. So in other words, we're attributing, we, we are recognizing what's already there. Right. So we're recognizing uh, this glory. And um, so... One of the things that <clears throat> that that we need to to understand is how this glory is actually a big part of our salvation, because the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand is they want to pick out all these passages when they talk about this pa- this sola soli deo gloria. Then they go to the, all these passages that use the word glory, and then they start trying to say, oh, "Okay, well, this is what this is what it's about." But I think we need to back up a little bit. And not just do a word search on this term, but come to a full understanding of what his glory, how important his glory is to him. Mm. Okay, so that's that's really that's a big deal where this lies. Right, that he holds his righteousness <clears throat> in high regard. <laughs> Obviously, because he's the standard. There's no other standard. Like he is the ultimate righteousness, holiness. He can't even look upon sin. Right. And we're full of sin. Right. right. So that's why there had to be a bridge to begin with. That's why there had to be a Jesus so that we could somehow bridge the gap between a holy God and a, a earthly man, which is despicable, mm. and how <clears throat> those two could actually right. come together without God lowering his standards and without us being able to be perfect, because neither one of those can happen. Right. So uh, the most beautiful picture to me of this that teaches us this is Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, and this is one of those passages I've read over and over and over again. I've preached like three sermons at the way on it. (laughs) But I love it so much, and it is so telling about this that I think a lot of churches miss this. Hmm. Because the message usually is God loves you, which is true, but but it, and he came and he died on a cross for you, which is true, so I'm not taking anything away from these things, but the focus is on you, hmm. and the focus should not be on you, and and that's one of the things that has been a running theme through these solas, right? Al- sure. Alone, 
alone, Christ alone, not you. We talked about in the previous episodes, we talked about subjective versus objective thinking in this thing. Right. It's not just <clears throat> faith, it's faith in Christ. So it has to be, fo- you have to be focused on the object of these sentences and right. not the subject matter. So that's exactly what God says here in Ezekiel 36, uh, verses 22 to 32. He says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, (laughs) which you have profaned among the nations in which you came. Okay, so first off, think about that, what he's saying. He's chosen Israel. He's about to act on their behalf. He's about to bring them into the land. He's about to, to, to deliver them. And he says, it is not because of you I'm doing this. It is because my holy name is important and you've defamed it. Mm. You have brought me down and I need to be lifted up. up. So I'm going to do something here that's unilateral. I'm going to do something here that is important, and it is going to be great for you. Like, and this is going to be why I love you. And that's, here's the big thing that for me, this is one of those things that slapped me in the face. How many times as pastors or teachers do we, do we encounter that member who says, man, I just can't get my head around this grace thing because I don't understand how God can love me, (laughs) right? How can God love me? Yes, this is a big deal. Why does he love me? This passage tells you why he loves you. And so, and I love this because it's not about you. No. And he loves you because of him. Yes. And and so if we look at this, he says, he says, I'm about to act, but for the, for the sake of my holy name, which you've profaned among the nations which you came, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. He's repeating himself. <laughs> He's like, look, guys. It's your thing. You've messed up. You've messed all this up. Right. I, and he's like, this is why I'm coming. Not not to save you necessarily before your own sake, but because I've got I've got something There's invested something here. There's something at stake here. I've invested in this, and my name's on the line, and you have profaned it. So in order to make my name holy again, I've got to do this. It says, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Hmm. Okay, so his act, his unilateral act of going and rescuing these people is going to give him glory. And that is the point. Right. And so, uh, and this, this passage just keeps going on. I'm going to keep reading it because it just, I love it. I mean, I just can't get enough of this. He is so intent on explaining to them why he's loving them. Right. And so if you're running up that thing, <clears throat> running up against that question, man, I'm just so horrible. How can God love me? Listen to this because this is telling you, yes, you are horrible. And this is how God can love you because he's involved. Right. And he has, he has a claim in this. He says, I will take from you the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from your uncleanness and uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you 
and I will give you a new heart and I, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. <laughs> He's talking regeneration here. Yes, this is rebirth. This is this is justification. This is uh this is salvation right here. Yes, this is this is him In the changing changing you. Right. And and so even though he is talking to the Israelites, remember that <clears throat> his message here Ezekiel's a prophet. This is a prophetic speech as well as as it is oh, yeah. a a speech that's happening here and he is talking about us uh because we we use all these passages all the time. Sure. We 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 just don't attribute all of it to us. And, but if we really stop and look at what he's saying, it applies. Oh, yeah. He says here, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Well, what do we have in the New Testament? We have this symbol of baptism, baptism yeah. that does this, that it is a symbol of his cleaning that he's doing in us. Right. And it says, and you shall be clean from your uncleanlessness and from all your idols. Right. I will cleanse you. And he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. And so Jesus, on the night that he is uh, about to go to the cross or about to get arrested, uh, he basically tells everybody, comforts them there in John 14. And he says, I'm going to send somebody else. (laughs) I've got to go. And it's a good thing that I'm going because if I don't go, the comforter won't come to you. But I'm going to go, and the Comforter is going to come to you. So he's he says, that, and he will be in you. Yes, and he will dwell in you, and he will teach you everything you need to know. And I mean, he's like giving us all this this stuff about what the Spirit is. And what is God saying here? He says, "I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and remove the heart of stone." And basically, he's going to give us love for other mm. people. Continue on, he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine on you. And I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. So I love this. He's basically saying, yes, you're pretty worthless. <laughs> yeah. But you're going to remember that you're worthless because I'm going to give you something good anyway. Right. I'm going to bless you anyway. I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. And because I've done that, it's going to hurt you because you were bad, because you were evil, because you did bad things. And it's going to make you want to follow my rules. It's going to make you want... This is regeneration. Right. This is change that happens when we are reborn. Repentance, yeah. And listen how he ends (laughs) this passage. It is not... For your sake that I will act, (laughs) declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. So it's okay for you to sit there and go, I just can't understand a God that would love me. 
I just can't understand how a God could come down and have mercy on me without me doing all these things that Martin Luther was teaching against, the indulgences and all the, the ritual and the religion that is supposed to bring us to God. Right. He, it makes perfect sense here. He says, you will be ashamed and confounded over this. Hmm. Hallelujah. That's where I want you. I want a broken and contrite heart. I'm not after your sacrifices. I've commanded those because they're a shadow of things to come. I'm after your heart. heart. Yes. And I'm after your heart for one reason and for one reason only, because it's going to give me the glory. Right. And so I love this passage. I think that it is it is one of those pinnacles in the Bible that people just they, they overlook and they don't realize that this... It gives you the gospel right here in Ezekiel. Mm. And it gives us this teaching of regeneration, which is one of the most neglected doctrines in Christendom. Right. I mean, people just do not teach regeneration. Right. It's either all work or it's all grace. And and no one goes in between and, and... I mean, really understands what happens when grace happens. What happens when grace actually right. takes place, and how it's not greasy grace or cheap grace or whatever. It's a it's a grace that that is changes you, founded, makes you into a new person. It's founded through a working great uh, faith. Right. That it's found through a trusting belief that makes you exactly what he says here. You will loathe yourselves and your iniquities and your mm. abominations and be ashamed and confounded over all this. And I think that's just beautiful. That Perfect picture. Yeah. Be confounded. It's okay. Right. It's okay. Because God is the one who gets the glory, not you. Yes. This is not your work. This is not about you. Yeah. And, uh, and he continues on in Isaiah 43, uh, verses 6 through 7. It says, I will say to the north, give up. And say to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name. And then listen to this, whom I created for my glory, Mm. whom I formed and made. Wow. You exist for the sole purpose of being the holiness of God made manifest on the earth. You exist to be a glory for God so that when people see you, they see him. Right. That's your purpose. That's your meaning in your existence on earth. And we see it all the way back in Genesis. He created us to be his image and likeness on earth. Yes. To be his picture to other people. It's a beautiful idea, you know, and if we miss out on that, of being his image and likeness, of being him on earth, Mm. then we miss out on our purpose. And it is so easy for us to go the other way. It is so easy because... That's he wants us in that broken state, right? That state that we just talked about, where you're confounded and you can't figure out why God loves you. That's a beautiful place. Sure, it may be sad to you, but find comfort in it because find comfort in the fact that God does love you for His glory's sake. Amen. And but but it it people tend to go the other way with this. They they tend to get to the place where it's like, oh, okay, God loves me, and that's great because I'm a good guy, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and you start to actually go the other direction, which is where we get into a mess. And why, by the way, soli deo gloria became an important part of the Reformation. Sure. Because people were basking in the glory. People were taking credit for what was being done. And so... 
the glory doesn't go to the church. The glory didn't go to the Pope. The glory didn't go to the priests or the councils. It went to God. And that is what the reformers were trying to say. And so the question here becomes, what glory do we focus on? There's all these other glories. Hmm. There's we we have these little bitty glories, these little be these little be parts of God that are in us, and sometimes we can lift these things up. In fact, some may even accuse us for doing the exact thing thing right now because what are we doing? We're celebrating. That's right, Martin Luther and company, but we're not here to give Martin Luther any glory. Uh-uh. He did not want that. We're here to show, or to give the object of Martin Luther's affection, yes, glory, yes. So, and and that is kind of the point of what this sola is about. It's about where your focus is. So, um, this and it's so easy to be misdirected. Mm-hmm. So easy, and let me tell you why. Because uh, as usual, I went to, and I let I read a bunch of other sermons on Soli Deo Gloria, yeah. and I was fascinated. By the messed upness <laughs> of some of these sermons. It was like, okay, so for example, here's an important passage in Scripture. And so I'm just going to read it here right quick. The, I, I read sermons on Soli Deo Gloria based on this passage. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay, so... Is that a true doctrine? Well, yeah. It's a true doctrine. It's a true teaching. Sure. But it's not the point of soli deo gloria. And here's why. is because, yes, everything you should do, you should do to the glory of God. God should be your focus. But if we make the teaching all about this, what have we done? We've, we've uh, missed the whole other solas. Yes. Right. We've we've dropped out so grata sola fare in Christ scripture and you know. Yes. So <clears throat> the focus of soli deo gloria is to put it like we said to put an exclamation point on what we've been learning. Mm. Soli deo gloria means he has saved us. This is his pattern for salvation for his glory. Right. And so even though it's a good doctrine to say, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, and Paul's not a liar. Paul's not, no, not teaching false doctrine here. He's taught, he, this is a true doctrine. <coughs> but when we focus on this passage, the focus of our teaching becomes subjective again, doesn't it? Yeah. Because then it becomes, what am I doing? And how many sermons do you hear where it's like, you're not doing enough, we're not doing enough, <clears throat> you, you, me, me, I, I, we, we, all of that, and we are foc- we're focusing on us. Right. And so what happens when you do enough, when you, as if we could, how, what happens when you do more, when you focus more on, before long, you can become a big head about it. Sure. Especially whenever you see some success. Sure. Because then you start thinking, okay, I've got this thing now. Right. I've got this God thing. And once and once again, now you're losing the focus, right? Because the focus is not you accomplishing a lot for God. the The focus is you being broken on behalf of God and letting God do great things through you anyway. Yeah, it's God's work in yes. you for His glory. That's the message. Amen. And so, uh, so focus is the point. 
you're going to glory in wherever your focus is. Mm. If you're focused on yourself, you're going to glory in yourself. Yeah. If you're focused on Martin Luther, you're going to glory in him. If you're focused on John Calvin, you're going to glory in him. That's right. Uh, and, and this is modern day as well. Matt Chandler, uh, David Platt, uh, Francis, Francis Chan. Francis Chan, yeah. Who, whoever it is that you like to listen to, I'm not Piper. saying... Sorry, that's a tough it's, one for it's me. It's not that these guys don't have good things to teach. We have to have teachers. We have to have pastors. We have to have leaders sure. to give us this stuff. But the the thing that we have to remember is don't focus on them. They're not the object. Right, right. Focus <laughs> on the object of their teaching. So <clears throat> in in stopping and trying to think about what it is that we focus on – it really is driven by really where our hope lies. So where your hope is, is where you will focus. <laughs> Somebody's car outside. It's okay. Like, it's like needs a serpentine belt. It sounds it? like it's coming through the, yeah, yep. Yeah, okay. Go, okay. Go ahead. So you're going to focus on where your hope is. All right. Okay. So obviously we want your hope to be in God, and that's why the focus is going to be on him. But... um too many times we put our hope in the wrong things. Sure. And that's why we focus on the wrong things, and that's why we glory in the wrong things. So first off, before we can even talk about this, we need to understand what hope means in the Bible because hope in the English language doesn't mean the same thing that it means in the Bible. Hmm. So, for example, I sure hope the Cowboys do good this Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? That means I'm not so sure about this. Right. They're playing the you know, Chiefs. Well, I sure hope the the Longhorns will play good. Well, that really means that I don't really have a yeah, lot of faith have no in that. Clue. They're, usually they don't. So. <laughs> Boomer sooner. Go ahead. <laughs> so m- when we use hope that way, it's a wishful thinking. Sure. In fact, it usually means we're in doubt. Right. We usually don't even use the word hope unless we're in doubt about it. However, the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible uses the word hope. I'll pull out Hebrews, for example. Hope is an anchor to the soul. Hmm. Now, is wishful thinking an anchor to anything? No. No. You're completely confused if you're using that type of hope as an anchor. But the hope of the scriptures, what it means is your hope is what you know Through your faith. So, what you know is going to happen because of your faith is your hope. Mm. And so, when you, the stronger your faith, the stronger the hope, right? And so, that's why hope can be an anchor. Like, for example, we, I have hope in that this life isn't all there is, that my life doesn't end in a graveyard somewhere. (laughs) That there is something else, there's something better, there's something glorious out there waiting, and that's where my hope is. That's where my focus is. So that's what I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna glorify. Strive towards, yeah. And so uh, hope is is what we know is going to happen, and the more we know it, the more it's an anchor. Hmm. So if we look to the scriptures that talk about hope, listen to where the hope lies. It's really cool. Romans five. Verses 1 through 2. And as we read these passages, think about the other solas. 
It's so cool how this has kind of worked out. These other solas creep into these passages, right? Yes. But the impact is in the, where the glory lies, where the focus lies. Right. So do you have that pulled up? Yes. Uh, Romans 5, verses 1 through 2. <clears throat> Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, so that's almost a pinnacle verse for the solas. If you sure. Stop, if you stop and think about it, right? It says there... It has it all. Justified by faith, or uh, into this grace in which we stand through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it's going through the solas, Right. But look here at the end, it says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And I just find that so cool. Like, none of this matters until that. Like, that is where the rejoicing happens. Yes. Is that we know we have this solid hope in the glory of God. He's the reason for it. And so we're, we're, found, we're focusing on, Amen. on that hope. Wow. So another passage that talks about hope is Romans 9, verses 22 to 24. And so, again, it's the same type of thing here. If you got that, got that pulled up. Romans 9, 22 and 24. Okay. It says... <clears throat> um, oops. I went too far. Oops, what version are you in? ESV? Yeah. What, what do you want? Romans 9, 22, 22. Through, through 24. Gotcha. Okay. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Okay, so it's a beautiful passage, right? Yes. So he says, I love the way he, he, he forms this as a, a hypothetical. Right. <laughs> He's like, well, what if God <laughs> was desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power and has enduring all these, with much patience, these vessels of wrath? In other <laughs> words, yes, you sitting there in your pew going, how can God love me? Yes, you're right. How can God love you? Right. You're a vessel of, of wrath prepared for destruction. Yes. Like that, that is what you are. What if God wants to use a vessel that's prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of what? Of his glory. His glory for vessels of mercy. Hmm. So in other words, you were a vessel of destruction or of wrath headed for destruction. He's going to change you into a vessel of mercy. I've never read it that way beforehand. And and he's like, I'm doing this for the riches of his glory. Wow. Which he's prepared for beforehand. That's like awesome. He's already at the garden. At, yeah. While all this junk is going down, while the fall is happening, before Adam even took the bite out of that apple... Or fruit, <laughs> the uh, he had this in mind. He had our vessels prepared for glory. 
So he says, even us who he has called, not from the Jews only, but from the, also from the Gentiles. So, and that's not a small statement, but by no. any means, but he's talking to all of us here and basically saying that the point, the point of all this is what if this is what God's thinking? God is thinking that he is going to take what does not deserve love and going to make it a merciful, loving thing in order that he might receive glory. And that that vessel of mercy now can share in it, Hmm. that that can be prepared for glory. And so this is so cool. It's like, okay, think about the priest and what they had to go through before the sacrifices. They had to be consecrated. Sure. They had to get ready to step into the presence of God because if you come into the presence of God unclean, bam, Boom, you're dead. You get struck down. <laughs> so what happens is you had to get prepared to step into this glory. And that's exactly what's happening to us is we're being prepared for, to step in the glory. for glory. Amen. Okay, so... Continuing on, John 17, verse 24. This is Jesus. Right before uh, Jesus is uh, about to die, one of the things he does is he has this big, long prayer. I love this prayer. Uh, the high priestly prayer. Yeah, it's often... You call it the, the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, this is the real Lord's Prayer. <laughs> so I love this prayer. I love that, I love that his, his... One of the focuses at the end of it is on unity. But I want to pick up on something here that he says in reference to glory. So look at John 17, verse 24. Sure. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Okay, so Jesus himself. Okay, what did we say glory was? That By definition, it was holiness made manifest upon the earth. Amen. What better glory? Jesus is glory. Than Jesus. Yes. He is he is the very definition of glory. He is God's holiness made manifest onto the earth. And so as he's a getting as he's getting ready to leave, his prayer is I want all these people you've given me. And before this passage, he mentions not just the ones here with me in the room, but those that will believe because of me. That's right. I want them all to be with me where I am to see my glory, Mm. because that's what I want. And I I want you to love them the way you've loved me. I want to be, if we keep reading, be in them, they in me, this whole... It's an intertwining... dichotomy, yeah. ...of our souls with Jesus. Right. Into his glory. Wow. So because of that, we become glorified, which is the third part of salvation, right? Yeah, the, glorification. It's the fourth part of, of being uh, saved, and that is when we are glorified with him. And it's not, when we say you're glorified, it's not because of anything you do, huh. because you don't earn that. You have no glory. In fact, you have to fully die in order to obtain it. <laughs> right, right. The only way to get it is to go into the grave. Right. And to be resurrected into him, which is a great point that brings us into the next passage I want to look at, which is 1 Corinthians 15. So in 1 uh, Corinthians is an awesome letter. So <laughs> this letter is basically... You got the love you, chapters in there. You guys are messed up. <laughs> that, that's the whole letter. 
Right. You guys are the most messed up Christians that I have ever planted. Yeah. You're the most messed up church I've ever planted. That's his pat that's his message. Yeah. Is basically you got everything wrong. You're treat you're treating the, the you're jacked up. You're treating the sinners well. You're treating the the holy people badly. You're not doing the Lord's Supper properly. You're not praying properly. You're I mean, everything is messed up. They're not giving, they're not a loving people. He just has all kinds of problems with them. Right. And this is a, a letter of correction. But at the end of this letter, he actually starts giving them hope and giving them giving them the point of it all. Okay, so one of the one of the things that that was creeping in here is, well, are we really resurrected from the dead? Mm. And that was why he he addressed this problem here in 1 Corinthians 15. So look let's look at verse 40 through 43 because he starts talking a little bit about what we're going to see when we're glorified. Okay? <clears throat> <clears throat> there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. If it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus is a, it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth a man of dust, and the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also those who are of heaven. Okay, so this is like really, really cool. Because what did Jesus pray? That they would see me in my glory. Right. That they would see what I'm really like. Like this is just the manifestation of me. I want them to see the real me. Like I want them to see what I was before the foundation of the world. Like right. I want to see. I want them to see me in my fullness and be with me in this. And so here, Paul is saying he's explaining the differences between heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And yet, your body's going to turn to dust. It's going to turn. You know, you're going to go buried in a grave. You're going to turn to dust, and you're going to cease to exist. Physically, right, but there will be a spiritual body that is raised that is imperishable, mm. and so, um, and it's going to be like him. I, that's what the, I think is so cool is that last passage where he says, "Just like Adam, we're all formed, and so we'll all go to dust like Adam did." But we're gonna we have be, a spiritual side. We have a spiritual side that's going to be resurrected, just like Jesus. Like him. So just as he is saying, I'm going to be glorified and I want to be seen in my glory, we're going to be glorified as well in a way. Right. And we're going to be glorified in him. So if we drop down to verse 54 through 58, and I'll go ahead and read this, but it's like, this is like the pinnacle of our glorification. Like, I love this passage. It says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. 
but thanks be to who? To God. God, who gives us victory through who? Lord. Our Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, by be- my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in our Lord your labor is not in vain. Hmm. So this is like, this is salvation and regeneration all rolled up. Right. I mean, he's basically saying, look, you're going to be glorified with, with Jesus, and death has no power on you anymore. Death has lost its victory over you completely. And he says, thanks be to God for this. Thanks be to Jesus for this. That's where the glory lies. Mm. Your glory is where your focus is. Your glory is where your thanks lies. And he's like, thank you for giving us this. And he says, because of this, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, faithful, immovable, always abounding in the work. These are the other parts of the sola, right? Wow, yeah. And so he's saying, do all of that other stuff because of your thanksgiving, because of your glorification of me, because you're going to be glorified with me, because that's where your hope is found. Wow. So the question after this becomes, how can we put our glory anywhere else? Like, if we look at it in terms of lights... There, are, Just like it said, there's all kinds of glories. There's the glory of the moon, there's the glory of the stars, and there's the glory of the sun, and they're all a little different, right? Right. And like when you when you walk out into a really dark night and there's a bright full moon, right? We'll use the word bright. We'll say, man, that moon is bright tonight. <laughs> but you really can't read by it. I mean, you can't. <laughs> right. I mean, it's not that bright in reality. Right. It's only bright by comparison. In reality, it's not the sun. It's yeah. a different type of glory. But if you walk out in the middle of the Sahara Desert in the middle of the day, right? Yeah. And it feels like that, that sun is, what, maybe a mile above your head instead <laughs> Right, of... when you can pop corn. Exactly. Right there. <laughs> Man, that's bright. Yeah. So you have like this difference between the, sure. the lights. And so what, what I think, this, how this fits into the soli, part of Soli Deo Gloria, is we are all a little bit of God's glory. We all have a little bit of light in us. We're like the moon shining. We sometimes seem bright in darkness. Martin Luther was a light in a dark place, Mm. but he was only a reflection of the brighter light. So he was only the moon next compared to the sun. Right. And so don't put your hope in him. Right. Don't put your focus on him. Focus on where the reflection's coming from, which is the sun. Exactly. So, you know, lumens, we talked about lumens. A lumen is a measurement of light. So a candle is one lumen. Like a candle flame is what a lumen is. Right. So whenever you say a light bulb has 600 lumens, that is the equivalent of 600 light uh, candlelights uh, being lit together. So uh, the problem is we sometimes focus on a candle when we have a spotlight. We have the sun. Like <laughs> take a candle out into the Sahara Desert. How much light does it actually give out? None. None. It has very little effect because it's overshadowed by the bright light, the real light of the sun. And so we need to do the same in our Christian walk. Mm. And that's what I think the point of the soli was, is like, look at the sun. Stop looking at the moon. Stop looking at the candles 
and look at the sun because there is where the light, the real light, the glory comes from. And I think light is a great example. God uses it. You know, in the beginning, it was darkness was upon the face of the waters, right? And he said, let there be light spoken from his word. And all of a sudden it happened. Right. And in John 1, it says that Jesus was the light, light of the that world. came into the world, and the darkness couldn't comprehend perceived it. it the, yeah, perceived it. Not. He's constantly using light as an example of the Shekinah glory. Uh, I mean, all throughout Scripture, you have references to light. Right. And God is the ultimate light that gives light to everything. Therefore, He is the most glorious thing you could ever look at. Sure. You know, you think about the sun. You... Uh, we went to Stephen's birthday party, and he got a pair of binoculars. And on the package, it said, "Don't look directly into the sun with these." Well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> because you'll burn your retinas out. <laughs> because it's so bright, you can't comprehend it. Right. It's so bright, your physical body can't deal with that. It will be destroyed. Yeah. Now, you, can you look at a candle with a pair of binoculars all sure. day long? There's no problem with that. And so it's the same thing with us in our faith. We have to focus on the on where our source of light is. The sad things we're like moths. It's so easy to get off on a tangent on something or <laughs> be drawn to the somebody. flame. Be yeah. drawn to the flame. The reality is, is we need to be drawn to the the ultimate flame. Yeah. We need to let those little ones push us towards the big one. Yeah. Let all other glories fall. Right. Because there's all these little glories throughout the world. Let them all fall. Because in essence, you need to learn what you're glorifying. Because what you're glorifying is an idol or it's God. There's no other in between. That's right. You're either glorifying an idol or you're glorifying God. And you have to examine that in your own life and determine what is it that I'm glorifying. Mm. And if it is an idol, then let it fall. The same way, you know, the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant from the Israelites. And they were like, yeah, we got, we got the power <laughs> from the Israelites because they thought it was in this object. But they stole the Ark of the Covenant and they took it into the temple of Dagon, their god. Okay, a statue of Dagon there in the temple <laughs> falls down right. and breaks all over the place because it cannot stand in the glory, in the presence of the glory of God. Almighty God, amen. And so neither can your idols, neither can the things that you glorify in. That's why this solely exists, so that we can focus on the real God Amen. instead of the things that we glorify. Wow. So to end our entire in, entire study on the solas, uh, again, we want to remind you of the uh, basically the sentence. Forget that they're numbered out, whatever. Just listen to the sentence. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, so that God alone will receive all the glory. And if you can... If you can get your head around that statement, then you're well underway of understanding what the gospel is all about. Amen. So you got some news? Hey, let's do it. All right. And now, the news. All right, a new study has come out. The 10 worst 
countries for Christian persecuting persecution persecuting well persecution persecution according to the UK report here they are countries in the port were Eritrea have you ever heard of that that's a country I guess so Egypt is number two UK is number three. That's not right. Russia, yeah, I don't know if these are in order. Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iran, China, Vietnam, Miramar, and Bangladesh. Miramar? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. No, not Miramar. That's all. Miramar is a... Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Myanmar. Myanmar. (laughs) The report said that nearly 80% of the world's population lives in countries with high or very high levels of restrictions on religious freedoms. Offenses against Article 18 can include both direct government denial and state failures to protect the right of religious liberty. In Intria, there are credible reports of female Christian prisoners being beaten in their wombs. Beaten on their wombs. What? Allegedly to prevent them from bearing children. (laughs) Wow. Mm. In the UK, Muslim attacks have increased. That's the reason why it's up there. And in Russia, Jehovah's Witnesses have been banned, were banned earlier this year. And I don't know if I'd call that Christian, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The report does not include the nations of Nigeria, Syria, and North Korea, which were known persecutions against Christians uh, is occurring. So those are the 10 worst right now. Wow. Pretty crazy. It's a messed up world, and and we here in America have no idea what's sure. going on out there. So there's a new movie coming out called Samson. Yes. Have you heard about no, that? No, I have not. Who's uh, playing Samson? I don't know who's playing it. it has, <laughs> all, I, all I have is the uh, teaser trailer for it, which looks pretty interesting. It's going to come out in 2018. It's supposed to tell the... Uh, is this a Ridley Scott film? The biblical story. <laughs> no, it's it's a pure flicks film, so you know it's going to oh, be... so it's going to be cheap. It's going to be, number one, cheap. Number two, way watered down, because the story of Sanson this is all blood, guts, and sex. Oh, yeah. And it's going to be 100% watered down. <laughs> I really, man, I totally agree with you that if they made judges... And the kings into yeah a first series. and second Samuel mm. the kings oh man those it, that needs to be like an HBO series it would be worse than the it, worse than Game of Thrones oh yeah yeah hundred percent worse all the Christians are up in arms about all that well read Second Samuel <laughs> we we're going through Second Samuel right now in our Bible study on yeah. on Sunday nights. And it's like I always recap, you know. Sure. <laughs> as we're going into the chapter, okay, what happened previously? And it's like, okay, well, let's see. Amnon raped his sister Tamar, and then Absalom uh, waited two years and then murdered Amnon for <laughs> raping his sister, and then got exiled by. <laughs> right. So it's like it's it is the same thing. Sure. Like it is. Hundred percent. Oh man, it's messed up, man. All right, so I don't know if you've heard about Kevin Spacey. No, I don't guess so, okay. So. You've heard, you, I know Kevin Spacey. I mean, I know who the actor is. Okay. Um, today, this all happened today, starting earlier this morning, October thirtieth. Um, you know Anthony Rapp, who I forget he was in Rent. Um, he's a Broadway actor. Accused Kevin Spacey based on the the whole hashtag Me Too. Accused Kevin Spacey oh. of uh, molestation. When he was 14, 
Anthony was 14 at a party at Kevin Spacey's house after the, everybody left. Kevin Spacey tried to uh, advance on him. Right. So Kevin Spacey took the opportunity to respond on Twitter and say, I don't remember this happening. If it did, I'm super sorry. But I want to take <laughs> this. I How wanna, do you not remember yeah, that? He goes, I want to take this moment to come out as gay. What? So Kevin Spacey has come out of the closet. He's a homosexual now. <laughs> oh wow! There you go. Oh, that that makes the movie American Beauty have a completely different. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a totally different outcome, isn't it? <laughs> it? It makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Anyways, all right. And today in church history. Oh yes. I'll actually won't play the TARDIS quite so long this good. Unless you just want to ride in it for a while. No, it's fine. It's totally fine. Oh, okay. Did you kill it already? <laughs> yeah, I killed it. Sorry, I didn't have my <laughs> headphones on. All right, so in the little town of Wittenberg, Germany, mm. on this day, October 31st, 1517, a priest nailed a challenge to debate on the church door. No one may have noticed then. But within the week, copies of this thesis would be discussed throughout the surrounding regions. And within a decade, Europe itself was shaken by his simple act. Later generations would mark Martin Luther's nailing of the 95 Thesis on the church door as the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. But what did Luther think he was doing at the time? To answer this question, we need to understand a little bit about Luther's spiritual journey. As a young man in Germany... At the beginning of the 16th century, Luther was studying law at the university. One day he was caught in a storm and was killed by lightning. He cried out to St. Anne and promised God he would become a monk. In 1505, Luther entered the Augustinian Monastery. In 1507, became a priest. His monastic leader sent him to Rome in 1510. But Luther was disenchanted with the ritualism and dead faith he found in the Papal City. Papal City. There was nothing in Rome to mend his despairing spirit or settle his restless soul. He seemed so cut off from God, and nowhere could he find a cure for his malady. Martin Luther was bright, and his superior soon sent him teaching theology in the university. In 1515, he began teaching Paul's epistle to the Romans. Slowly, Paul's words and Romans began to break through the gloom of Luther's soul. Luther wrote, My situation was that, although... An impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence with my merit would assuage him. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement, the just shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and have been gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. That's awesome. <laughs> so on this day, he posts his 95 Thesis of the church door. Yep. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, God. And that's all I have. That's all you got. That's it, man. All right, man. Well... We've been at this for a while. We have. 
<laughs> but it's been good. It's been great. I wouldn't change a minute. Yeah, so it's, we we won't know what to do with ourselves next week. Seriously, when do you go to uh, Haiti? Um, first, well, the ninth is whenever we leave. Okay, so we got next week, and then you get out. Yep, yep. So, oh my goodness. Yep, gonna be fun. Well, we'll definitely pray for you. All right, you ready to get out here? Let's do it. All right. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and to proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com and subscribe to the newsletter and stay up to date with all of our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and the Secret Fire Podcast. Visit our website at theodotspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line, 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter at using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. If you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. And don't forget to tune in. Oh, sorry. I'm stepping on your screen. Don't forget. That's my line, David. To tune in again to explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. <laughs> All right, Jeremiah. Thanks for being here for two episodes in a row. Thank you, David Gaddy. All right, God bless. This has been Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst.